welcome, welcome, hello. My name is Susie Lambert, I'm from BAFTA. Um, great to see you all here. Uh, today's event is part of BAFTA's Learning and New Talent Programme, where we work with the best BAFTA nominees and winners to share insight into their excellent work, as well as programme-led uh, craft panels, um, masterclasses and lectures to explore issues within the um, industry. We deliver over 250 events across the UK, um, as well as in the, in the US and Hong Kong. So do check out BAFTA.org for more info. Um, over on BAFTA Guru, if you're not aware of it, you'll also find behind the scenes interviews and other craft insights from the best minds in TV. And finally, do check out BAFTA Crew, which um, connects emerging below the line talent to BAFTA winners and nominees. And you can apply for BAFTA Crew in January and the criteria can be found on our website. So thank you very much and over to you, John. Thank you. <laughs> See, if I thought you were gonna be slow to clap, I wouldn't be here. So, um, well, hello everybody. Uh, my name is Glenn Patterson. Um, I'm, a, I'm a writer and uh, occasional uh, screenwriter as well. I have a, a small connection with BAFTA in that uh, a film I wrote, co-wrote, called Good Vibrations, uh, was, was nominated for a, ba for a BAFTA which means that it was uh, conspicuously picked out of all the films made that year not to win a BAFTA. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, today I'm, I'm, I'm here to, um, to chair uh, Hugh Cordy and Sophie Darlington. Um, Hugh Cordy uh, began his career at, uh, at Partridge Films, one of the leading natural history uh, film companies of the 1990s. And after some time in the US, he joined the um, BBC Natural History Unit uh, in 1995. He worked on uh, many of the most prestigious uh, natural history series um, that the unit made, including Sir David Attenborough's Life of Mammals. Uh, from there, he went on to planet Earth before in 2009, um, he moved to Silverback Films. Um, listeners to Radio 4's From Our Own Correspondent uh, might also recognise his name. That was you, wasn't it? It was, and I, I'm doing another one which is going to be on in two weeks' time. There you go, two weeks' time. Um, I have to say that, uh, that Hugh helped me get through many a Saturday morning sitting outside my daughter's ballet class uh, waiting for her coming out. Um, particularly remember one from Colombia. Yes. Yeah. And on the strength of that, I was in actually invited to the ambassador, the Colombian ambassador to London's house, because nobody had ever written anything nice about Colombia before. So <laughs> he thought this was so extraordinary. He invited me for lunch, and I went to this very, very grand house in, in London. And he and I sat at this huge table and were waited on by men with white gloves. It was quite surreal. You haven't been in Belfast long enough, obviously. <laughs> we can... <laughs> putting it up to us. Um, I'm also joined by uh, Sophie Darlington. Sophie, who has uh, over 25 years experience as a cinematographer, um, which began, um, I believe, uh, with a, a chance encounter. This could happen to any of us uh, in the Serengeti uh, with a couple <laughs> of uh, BBC uh, wildlife uh, filmmakers. Um, uh, she has, uh, well, she's, she's filmed, um, she grew up partly in, Ar uh, in Iran uh, and in Ireland, doing the world alphabetically, obviously. Mm. And um, she um, has filmed as well as filming in some of the world's remotest locations. Um, she has also uh, filmed uh, at Giant's Causeway uh -huh. and Strangford Lock. Yep. Um, she says that uh, you can go slightly bonkers on a shoot, but obviously having filmed in those last two places, she knows that you don't have to be on a shoot to be bonkers. Mm -hmm. um, the, so would you welcome uh, Sophie Darlington and Hugh Cordy. Uh, we're here to talk about the hunt 
Um, and uh, it, uh, the, film, the, the series uh, first aired in uh, 1st November uh, 2015. Right. Um, since sold all around the world, including selling to Japan and my absolutely favorite uh, channel, which is Wow Wow in Japan. Uh, so it's, uh, well, what can I say, but wow, wow. And can we have a look at the, uh, just a, a brief introduction to the hunt. Can I just, just start with asking you first, Hugh, um, the, just to kick it right back to the very beginning, um, the conception of this, um, what, was the, what was the starting point with the, with the series? Well, it seems strange because predators obviously feature large in a lot of natural history films, but nobody had ever looked at predators as a group and looked at the, the detail of strategy. So, you know, we thought that this would make a very good landmark series. But on its own, we didn't just want to do a, an animal behavior film. We didn't want to just feature predators catching prey. We wanted to put them in some sort of context. And the thing about predators is that their behavior and their strategies are shaped by the places in which they live. So if you live on an open plain, it's very, very different to um, living in a rainforest. Live in an open plain, you've got the problem of being out in the open, nowhere to hide. You've got the opposite problem in a rainforest. So by combining this incredible behavior, which and obviously predation is the most exciting behavior in nature, by providing that sort of behavior with the context of the habitat, you've got a, you had a sort of, you know, the, the best of both worlds of a landmark series. You had great behavior and epic sort of uh, scenes, but also putting the animal very much in the context of where it lives. And we thought that would make a really good proposition for an audience. I'm interested in you, uh, you saying for a landmark series, um, that, that kind of ambition, that is, that's the, way you, that's the way you saw it from the very beginning. This was yeah. um, I mean, always I, going to be that Exactly. I mean, I, I, I worked with somebody called Alistair Fothergill, and he was behind Blue Planet and Frozen Planet and Victor Fusilier's Planet X. And I spent my career making these big landmark series. And landmark series have to surprise people. They have to take an audience to places um, that they haven't been before, see behavior they haven't been seen before. They've got to have enormous ambition. I mean, you start a landmark series and you're, you know, you're reaching for the skies, and if you're not, you won't succeed. So yes, that was, from, that was the aim right from the beginning, is to have the time and the money to create a landmark series that people would notice and feel fresh. 
And when did you get involved then? At what stage did you come in, Sophie? Um, we, there was a core crew of camera people and we kind of got involved quite early on because you kind of, we get booked up quite in advance because you're, um, you can anticipate behaviour. And luckily, thank God. And uh, the, so the researchers know and the producers know when they want you. So pretty early on, um, before the whole project started, maybe a year before we got off the ground. And actually one of the features of the series is that we wanted to have a small number of, of cameramen, camera women, doing the majority of the work. So, so it had some sort of continuity. I mean, a big landmark series like Planet Earth would you know, probably have 30, 30 to 40 camera credits from all over the world. But the hunt, 50% of it was made by five people, of which Sophie was one. Alisa Milton. And, and it was, it was. And that was designed at the start. And that, that was, it was three years in the, the three filming. Three years in making. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Alastair Fothergill likes to say, you know, it was, you know, it was squeaky bum time in three years. I mean, it is quite extraordinary that, you know, for most people working in television, it's, so they have an idea, they get it commissioned, and they finish the film and have it transmitted within six months. You know, three years is actually quite tight. We spent four and a half years making Planet Earth. And, and when, you, when you got that call then, what was your uh, initial response? Yes, straight away? Oh, yeah, or? no. I mean, you don't say no to working with Silverback. It's sort of the quality of the production that they put out um, is it, it's the best standard. But it's also, I was, I, I was a bit apprehensive because it's about predation. I thought mm -hmm. it could be a bit macho. But the minute we went into it and unpicked it, of course, it's not. It's about failure as much as it is about success. And that whole thing about showing the failure was really, really interesting. I mean, that was the key. I mean, that's, that's the sort of um, conceit of the entire series, is that we wanted to show predators as they really are, not as, as they've been depicted in natural history films. I mean, we're, we're to blame to a certain extent. We always see predators succeed. Um, you know, when we went on shoots filming predators, you know, you'd have to, you'd be, you know, you'd want to get the money shot, and the money shot is when the predator catches the prey. But this series, it was quite nice because the money shot wasn't important. This was called the hunt, not the kill. And the thing about predators is that most predators fail most of the time. Um, and if they didn't, there wouldn't be any prey, and then there'd be no predators. I know it sounds obvious, but you know, people didn't seem to realize that. And by understanding about this failure, it gave us much more opportunity for an audience to feel empathy or sympathy with predators. Because, you know, again, mostly they're depicted with red and tooth and claw. Um, and everyone's on the side, especially you know, the way people like to support an underdog. Everyone's just supporting prey. But you know, this series, we really wanted people to be rooting for the predator. And I think we succeeded because it was, it was shown four weeks in a row on Gogglebox, you know, and you could see, it was very nice. You, know, you often don't get an opportunity to watch people course, watching yeah. your films. Yeah. Yeah. And to see the audience in Gogglebox you know, absolutely cheering on the polar bear was just like, yes, <laughs> we succeeded. Um, Sophie, you said that, or uh, Hugh was saying that um, the, the intention with this or the ambition with this was to show predators as they, as they really are. And one of the things that you have managed to do with this series is really the, the techniques, mm. uh, which we'll go on to maybe speak about in, in greater detail, but the, the way in which you are actually with the predators um, in, in this is quite extraordinary. There, there was a real, a real desire to be absolutely with the animals, whether that was using um, Cineflex um, and traveling, which um, we had one member of our core crew, who's Jamie McPherson, who's exemplary at, who's the best in the world, bar none. Um, and then three long lens, which is what I do, and then an underwater, um, and the macro. So there was a, a very um, tight crew, and it was all about, it, it immersion gets overused, but it was about being at eye level, being with that animal, and so everything we did was, you know, to be as, as you know, in their land as you could be. 
Maybe could we um, maybe have a look at uh, a clip of the um, the wild dog, which, ah, which was a, yeah, yeah. And this probably perhaps say that uh, for those people who don't know is that we use this piece of kit called the Cineflex, which is a gyro-stabilized system, and you know technologies can sometimes get in the way of, of telling a story in natural history, but we think editorially it just completely married up with the idea because it gave us an opportunity to follow predators, you know, so we didn't miss anything. We're really in their footsteps now. Until this scene you're about to watch. Nobody had ever filmed a full wild dog hunt before, because the only way to do it was to you know, find your wild dogs, try to pick the wildebeest that it's going to go for, drive close to that, stop the car, get the camera out, put it on a side mount, and then watch as the dogs you know, move towards you, and then away from you. And then when the dogs had run far enough away, you'd have to stick the camera back in the car and drive on and so forth. But using the Cineflex, which we attached to uh, a scaffolding rig on the front of the car, we were able to follow the dogs at 40 miles an hour, fortunately, in a place that didn't have any porcupines or, or aardvarks, because you know, if we'd dropped into a three-foot hole, we would have yeah. ridden Wouldn't off have both happy. us and the camera. Um, and this is the first time it's been ever been done, so an entire hunt filmed in the air and from the ground. Now, the real contest begins. The wildebeest are big and strong. But the dogs have stamina. Right now, hunters and hunted are clocking 40 miles an hour. The pack can keep this pace up for miles. Wildebeest can't. One wildebeest peels off, then another two. The split confuses the inexperienced pack, sending them in different directions. The mother and one youngster continue on. The rest of the pack stop, believing they have an easier target. It's a mistake. Like a beast with two heads, each bull protects the other's rear. And the dogs can do nothing. Ahead, the chase continues. Another wildebeest peels off. Now the mother has just one in her sights. But it will mean nothing without the help of the rest of the pack. The situation here has reached stalemate. The young dogs have lost valuable time. They must try and catch up with their mother. Back at the front, the mother is beginning to tire. And the wildebeest knows it. 
bouncing to show he's still strong and not worth chasing. But fresh young legs are catching up fast. When one dog tires, there's always another member of the team to take up the lead. The dogs now have the numbers to bring the wildebeest down. Each bite risks a broken jaw, but going for the legs is the only way to stop it. And they must do so before it reaches the safety of the herd a few hundred meters ahead. After a 20-minute chase, the bull's energy is near spent. This time, there will be no sanctuary within the herd. The dog's stamina has been rewarded. All they must do now is to bring their quarry to the ground. Ask, I mean, the, the, the way you work as a team um, and the, um, your early involvement in it, I mean, what, what's the process of deciding the stories to focus on? Um, That's done by the production team. Yeah. Um, it's kind of in consultation with the camera team because they have ideas and so they feed those ideas into the research that goes on the producers. But, you know, you do a long period of research, you know, you find out what's possible, uh, what's practical, what's affordable. And then, of course, you need some balance to the program. You can't all have, you know, mammals. You know, mammals are obviously the more interesting of the, of the predators. But, you know, you have to have invertebrates and reptiles and so on. You want to have a sort of, a, you know, the, the program. Because we're, we're having the program or the series has a global feel to it. So we need to cover all kinds of animal groups. And the, the um, couple of times there you've mentioned uh, what you can afford. Um, how early on is, the, is your budget determined yes. and um, yeah, we don't start without like the budget it is the thing that's at the back of all of that, it's, the, it? it's the most important thing we like to say that you need enough money to fail um, and it sounds a sort of an odd thing to say but if you don't have the money to fail all you can do is go for the low-hanging fruit which had been done before um, you know with the money to fail it, and the time it means that you know it's not the end of the program if a shoot goes down. And of course, they do go down when you're going for risky stuff. But the, the benefits of going for risky stuff when it pays off like that is that you know, you've got some standout moments. So it's incredibly important the Landmark series brings with it a Landmark budget. 
And uh, it does that, I mean, with you when you're, when you're working, is, are those concerns taken off you, lifted off you completely? No, no. So you're, you're, you're aware of that all the time? Well, you're not aware of the budget, but you're aware of the time because mm -hmm. you've always got a limited time on things and you've got a... We, we had a moment where we were filming a lion hunt and for five weeks um, we had to wait and every day we'd go out and people go, gosh, you're really patient, aren't you? It's like, no, we're just madly optimistic. <laughs> we think that it's going to happen because you have to because if you didn't, you just you wouldn't go out. And it happened on the last day, the last evening of the last day. And we thought we were going home with nothing. And that's the risk you have to take. And that's one of the great things about our business. The great, I mean, it's the thing I enjoy or, or, or come to terms with is that when you go on a four-week shoot, you can have 90% of it go really badly mm -hmm. and just the last bit, you know, to you work. You essentially and only suddenly, need that 10 minutes. Yeah, and suddenly yeah. it's, you know, you've got everything. I mean, when we did, uh, give an example, Birds of Paradise for Planet Earth, that shot that everyone remembers of the yeah. Yeah. bouncing disc, I mean, we saw that for two and a half minutes over 600 hours of sitting in hides. But, you know, as a viewer, you just got the shots. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you never give up. That's what I say to, to researchers when they go on their first shoot. I say, you never, ever give up. You have to get up there every day until the last minute, and then... Yeah, blindly stupid, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> yeah. optimistic. I mean, as opposed to patient. You, and you were saying that the, the budget needs to be big enough to fail. Yeah. Were there things that in advance you just thought we're not going to be able to do, no matter how terrific our budget is, the landmark budget, we just not, I'm just going to throw a pen, oh yeah, just sorry about that, I should just, yeah, I'm going to just yeah. give up everything that I have and just yeah. put it all over there, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, I mean, there are, I can't think of any a specific example, but um, it's particularly true for ocean films, because yeah. ocean films involve such a lot of money, it's like, you know what they say about buying boats, like having a hole in the sea in which you pitch money, and it's much the same with, with, with uh, filming, I mean, I, I always thought it was funny, our producer making the ocean film, you know, he would say, oh, this is a, we're filming a bait ball, you know, with uh, marlin. And, uh, you know, he'd go off and he'd come back with something completely different. And so I sort of got, you know, you, you come to expect that you can call the shoot whatever you like, but it's what you see yeah. is what the shoot actually is. And that's very, very expensive because you've got all the underwater gear and the safety around that and then the boats and the liverboards and incredibly expensive. So, you know, there are things that you think, wouldn't it be great if we could do that? And how many, how many uh, countries did you visit uh, altogether in the 35. series? 35. And what about you, Sophie? How many of those were you? We did seven shoots. Seven? The, yeah, seven shoots, I think, in the... Um, which sounds like very little, but some of them were quite long. Yeah, I, I, um, I read some of your, um, your BBC blogs or mm. uh, an interview with you on... Um, was oh, that well the done. Excellent. Um, <laughs> just want everybody to know that. I read that. Yeah, no, um, that's good uh, research. No, I did, but uh, the, um, was it the Ethiopian? Oh, that was amazing. Ethiopian Me and Mandy. Wolves, yeah. yeah. I w worked with Mandy Stark for three yeah. different shoots. And the lion shoot and the, yeah, the wolves. Nine weeks? It was a, she did the nine weeks. I only did five. Um, <laughs> she, which is, you know, it's actually, that's quite short now. But yeah, that, it's amazing. It's, um, you do kind of, we ended up kind of almost hitting Christmas and it got to a point where we always, for some reason, we were always together for December in the middle of nowhere. Um, so we started a, a thing where we, we decided to make up our own traditions to confuse people, and we did advent calendars. It was very, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> As she said, you can go slightly bonkers yes, um, on a shoot. Um, I, I maybe just talk something about those, um, the, what you were doing there, the filming techniques and the challenges that um, um, you faced. I mean, obviously, there have been uh, incredible um, 
advances in, in technology, technology and the type that you've been working with? Yeah, absolutely. Technology is changing so, so quickly right now, and especially with all the gyro stabilization and the drones. Obviously, you'll be seeing that on planet Earth too, a lot of drone use. Um, things are changing. I, I think the, the elements are still there. If you work on something like the hunt, um, the, the story is the thing that you've got mm. to worry about, and the technology should be there to guide the story, to help the story. It shouldn't be there to shape the story. So you can't go, oh, I, I want to use this because it's a great gadget. Yeah. Um, so um, I think what's lovely is on something like The Hunt, the technology really, as you said, drove the story. Um, and, and, and things like the Phantom, the, the, the uh, 4K Flex, which is a lovely, it, does, it slows things down up to 40 times. Right. Um, and so you can really break down behavior and look at things in detail. So the technology is, is, is hugely important. Natural history is an experiential mm. format. And you know, the quality of the cameras now. I mean, they haven't oh, changed yes. that much. I mean, but it's the quality of the images you get out of the camera. Well, you can also shoot much longer. You, can, yeah. you know, well, light, light sensitivity the light sensitivity, is, is the dynamic range that you get on the cameras yeah. now. It's just fantastic. And then the whole post-production mm. just makes everything look just so... Can, we, maybe just, can we just maybe have an, another look um, at, uh, at a clip? Um, I was thinking of the clip of the cheetahs, yeah. um, which I think maybe illustrates some yes. of what we're talking about yeah. here. Good so idea. Just have a look at that. If the cubs are to survive without her, they must watch their mother carefully and learn the strategies for hunting on the open plains. There's a lot to take in. sustained for a few seconds. They'll have to master how to match the twisting turns of the prey so they get close enough to trip it. And they will soon learn the margin for error is tiny. The odds are against them. Ninety percent of cheetah cubs never make it to their second birthday. Even with this experienced mother, the future for this family is far from certain. All any predator can do is to keep on trying.
it's it's lovely to see the, the the two cameras working in conjunction with each other, which really allow you to kind of break down that behaviour and really see mm. how that cheetah how she uses her mm. spine and mm -hmm. her tail and how the Tommy gets away and how the bird flew through the phone, which really annoyed <laughs> my boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our executive producer wanted to paint that bird out. I love the I bird. I love the bird. He yeah. really hated the bird, birdist. Yeah. And you, you don't really appreciate the skill. I'm just going to sing Sophie's phrases here. You, you don't realize the skill needed to try to keep a cheetah in frame in that mm. focal length um, at that speed, because it's running at what, 55 miles per 55 hour. Yeah. Um, if you saw that in real time, it'd be like, yeah. like that. And yeah. so to keep that much of the cheetah in frame for that long is yeah. quite something, I can tell you. I'm delighted, by the way, to find out that I am part cheetah because uh, be only being able to maintain your top speed for a few seconds, that's, yeah. that's <laughs> likewise, likewise me. Um, yeah. um, I think you're going to say you've got a flexible spine <laughs> yeah. and you were going to demonstrate it. Yes, you're special adaptations. Uh, um, the we're talking uh, the animal parts, that Sophie's got a neck like a giraffe. We established that. <laughs> quite, quite, uh, One well of my special talents. Yeah. <laughs> I, I worried about the, um, about the, the commentary and the script which is uh, incredible. Uh, I mean, it's uh, just... Very good. I'm glad you said I thought I was wondering where this was going to go. No, no, no. Yes, I, I mean, it, it, it's... I'm um, a script writer. <laughs> no, it's, it, it, you know, the... It, the um, I think sometimes, because of the visuals, um, and, and rightly we are so taken up with it that, that the words are... You're absorbing them actually sometimes without even thinking that you're uh, realising that you're hearing them. But that, that 90% line, for instance, uh, such a stark one... Yeah with the images, but uh, in its own right, the, the script, I think, And delivered. I mean, uh, when you have Sir David's voice yeah. on it, that's it. You know, it's it's like he knows, that's why he does what he does. He delivers so, such truth. He's such a good actor as well, mm. David. You know, we, uh, we always, a lot of people think David was a much better actor than his brother Richard, who was a famous actor. Um, but he delivers everything so well. But you're right. And I mean, just the odd statistic really, really work. Mm. But I find sometimes with Natural History, it's particularly the American style is just to fill things with facts and uh, facts that become irrelevant or just too many. You can't, you can't take them all in, so you need to be very, very sparing with those facts. Uh, and uh, so I, I said that without actually knowing it, and I probably ought to have known it. Did you write the script then? I did, yeah. Uh, okay, so there <laughs> yeah. you go. I wish I had just passed yeah. that off as though I knew that you'd written the script. But yeah. um, congratulations on that then as well as, as, as everything else. Um, Sophie, were there, were there shots that you didn't get things that you missed out on? Um, very few, thankfully, honestly. Um, there was a sequence we missed out on, but that was nothing to do with us. The animal did it the day before I arrived. <laughs> <laughs> so Which she is said. So <laughs> she <laughs> said. How do you know it did it the day before you arrived? Because the um, researcher was oh, there. Oh, the researcher was there. It okay. was, okay. It was, it was Can I tell agony. you the most commonly heard expression in natural history? Oh, not did you get that. No. Because that is my least You should have been here yesterday. Oh, yeah. No, it's true. You should have been here yesterday or last week mm. or last month. And I, 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 you know, after years of hearing this, I've got a very good trick, which I do when I hear it. I, I, my, I have my hand like that, and I put these two fingers like that, <laughs> and I poke them <laughs> hard in the eye. It is, so it's a, it is a sort of, it, yeah. There is, a, as I say, I think once we were actually there, I yeah. think very, very few shots that have actually got missed. Um, right. I'm going to have to say that. He's sitting next yeah. to me. How and ever... Um, that's good news because it's really hard yeah. um, to get you know animals to do things twice. Right. Yeah. So you do. I mean, the reason we do what we do is because we were doing it for a long time, and hopefully, yeah. we've got a better chance at getting it. <laughs> uh, but uh, at the same time, there's, you know, there's that uh, 
there, is there a moment where you think it's time just to move on? You know, yeah, I, I, no, there has to be. Sometimes we've got we've got what we need. We it might not be absolutely the perfect one that I had in mind, but I'm going to have to go. Um, you will carry on trying until you you get literally dragged away, because of course that's the nature of it. Mm. You've got to get the best thing. Yeah. As Hugh said, it's not good enough to settle for second best. Yeah. You've got to carry on. But there will be practicalities will dictate yeah. whether it's the weather or the sheep, you know, mm. bites or whatever it is. The animal's the gone. Seasonal and you yeah, know, exactly. So on. you will always, um, and until you have to, you will carry on going. And there, there were um, there were quite a number of uh, firsts in the in the series, and I'm I suppose that's that's, yes. that's always yeah. um, it goes with the, the territory, doesn't it? That you that you it have does. to. And it is getting increasingly difficult. People always say when you start a new series, well, what are you going to show us that's new? And there's always a slight trepidation when you start a big series. But what I find extraordinary is that it doesn't take long to find them. You know, it's amazing how little we've actually done. Everyone thinks it's, you know, everything, everything's been covered. But, you know, a month or two of research and suddenly all these things pop up. I mean, the, the, the example I give is nobody's ever filmed the classic fox hunting rabbit, you know, and that's something that happens on our doorsteps. And yet nobody's ever, I've never seen a great sequence of that. So, you know, when you're talking about, you know, places around the world, you know, jungles, you know, the, just, yeah, there's plenty well, of opportunities. birds we've, and insects. We've got examples. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I was, I was going to say, one of the things was the um, black spider, um, which I think we... Could you maybe talk us through a few of the, our... Uh, well, the Darwin spider, yeah. the, the, yeah. that, well, Q was on the shoot, so he must be special equipped. Um, it was an extraordinary thing, though, that nobody had ever even no. heard of. It wasn't even discovered researchers. until... It wasn't even named as a species until 2009. And my researcher came across it, and it was one of those moments where she just explained what she'd found in a bit of a behavior, and I was like booked for flight. It just, you just knew it was just a yeah. app. And it was a Polish scientist that had, um, basically, these, these, these spiders are really common. Not, not common, I mean, I see them everywhere, but you, know, you can see them easily. Yeah. So they were there. It wasn't yeah. like somebody uncovered them yeah. you know, in a place nobody ever went to, but they thought they were the same species as something else. Nobody had sort of, nobody had, oops, nobody had questioned, well, how did that spider put its web in the middle of this massive river? How did it get the web there? Yeah. And this scientist was curious, and he went, I'm going to watch this little fellow and see what it does. And when they discovered what it did, it was like, oh, my God. It's my favourite sequence, I think, in the entire um, series. I, yeah, I love this one. This took five weeks to film. Should we see what it, what it does? Like a real-life spider woman, she sprays strands of silk in one long, continuous flow. The threads fan out like a sail and drift on air currents blowing across the water. Every few seconds, she crimps the strands together to stop them spreading too widely. The breeze will do the rest blowing the threads into a single line and a 25-metre bridge. Now she must reinforce her bridge because her web will hang from it. But there's something bouncing the line at the other end. Another Darwin spider is trying to take advantage of her hard work.
She must deal with the intruder head on. The cut line is an inconvenience, but no more than that. With hooks on the tips of each leg, she gathers in the thread. It won't go to waste, as she'll eat it later. When it's all reeled in, she sprays again. Out streams another 25-meter bridging line. So, so to just to give some context, the spider is the size of my thumbnail. <laughs> female spider. The male is tiny, tiny little thing. But the female's about that big. And if she was here, she would spray and she would easily hit the other end of this theater. I mean, that's nothing. The music's so beautiful, too. Oh, the yeah. music, yeah. Stephen's yeah. music on that yeah, piece yeah. is just yeah. magnificent. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll come back to some of that post-production stuff later, mm. but that, that particular, you say five weeks? Yes. To five weeks to get that, because a lot of macro sequences, Amazing. you're able to sort of manipulate to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything that we filmed in this program is filmed in the wild, but, you know, some small animals, you can move them around or change the background. With the spider, you it's harder know. with the cheetah spider. Right. <laughs> 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 yes. Yeah, it's challenging with the big animals. Uh, but, you know, with spiders, that you just had to wait and yeah. watch, and, you know, yeah. you had to find them on the right yeah. eye level. I mean, yeah. it was just took a long yeah. time. Yeah. It's uh, an absolutely uh, amazing sequence. Uh, and it was only named in 2009? Yes. It was, uh, I think it was one of the, was it 200th anniversary of Darwin? And so yeah. they oh. named it Darwin's Bark Spider. So it's part of a family of uh, called bark spiders, and uh, they just thought, oh, this is just one of those bark spiders, until they looked at it in more just detail. one of those yeah. bark spiders. Like those yeah. Have them in yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, uh, um, I, I tried to rename it the black spider there, but <laughs> obviously it didn't really uh, catch, didn't on, catch on uh, at all. Um, and the, the, the other one, if we, move, we could uh, just, if we stay with this uh, for a moment, um, some of those um, beautiful sequences, the, the bears, uh, that was lovely but in Alaska. Well, the bears, everybody knows that the bears fish, but um, it's much less shown, and it certainly hasn't been shown in slow-mo in a, a 4K yeah. before, and we we were filming bears. It was one of those things. We went to film the bears, and a wolf turned up, and um, a big male wolf who was a metre at the shoulder, and he he was completely tame. And it, there's something... I, I film usually a big predator. We film from a car. There's something really amazing about being on a beach in Alaska... Mm -hmm on your knees and a wolf coming a meter away from you and coming right down. It's one of the most brilliant things, but it hunted, it hu well, Wilson was fantastic. Mm. Take a small appreciate of that. will have to wait. Bears dominate the river mouth.
these bears rely on the salmon run for nearly 90% of their year's food. Most of the salmon make it upstream past the bears, but now they must run the gauntlet of wolves. salmon will sustain the wolves through the rest of the summer. The sheer abundance of this seasonal bounty has made these bears the largest in North America. shot of the salmon underneath you and they've mm. just got away from the bears actually what they're doing it looks like they're breathing they're laughing that's kind of silent <laughs> salmon <laughs> laughter when you like that um you talk, you talked you mentioned just before we showed that clip about how you film mm. um could you say maybe a little bit more about your your own particular style or approach to filming well, everybody on the hunt um all the camera people that they use have a kind of individual th mm. and, and then quite meshes together very well um my thing is sort of long lens which means i work at the very end of a long lens usually, which means you have to have very steady um, hands, which means not quite as steady as Guinness, by the way. <laughs> Guinness is a disaster for a steady hand. Um, but uh, so I, it's beauty. I, I really like to find not only the behavior, but the beauty mm -hmm. in an image. And um, so that's also a challenge with something like predation to bring, to make it look beautiful as well as to get the behavior. But I, I think, you know, the crew, I think we've got it. In, in production terms, um, and one of the things I think is so good about this series is just the the, the length of some of those sequences. Um, I mean, is that a was that a difficult decision to make, or something difficult to get through? That um, you know, because we, we yeah. tend to have very quick I know. cuts nowadays. And we made a conscious decision at the start not to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are practicalities. I mean, the the more sequences you have, the more expensive it can be because you go to different locations for each sequence. Yeah. So, you know, being able to have fewer sequences, you know, allows you to put more money into less, you know, yeah. fewer, fewer sequences. And, but actually, you know, you need the time to sort of play out the emotion and to see the detail of things happening. And the, I think the wild dog clip is a very good example of that. There are so many twists and turns to the hunt. To sort of knock that off in three minutes, I think you would have only sort of captured a sort of a small feeling of the of the challenge mm -hmm. um so to understand the challenge of the hunting dog to see them go over i mean it took 25 minutes of running that hunt um and they traveled like five or six kilometers and you wouldn't get that impression if it was a quick sequence mm -hmm. and so it was a very yeah it was a conscious decision to try where possible to you know stretch them out and try to make it as emotional and as cinematic. That mm. was that's yeah, one of the key things. And that, so make it cinematic. 
and it's a lovely thing as a camera person to be able to be allowed that mm. not to have everything chopped up, yeah. but actually to let shots run. Yeah. And there's a beautiful shot in the polar bear sequence of where the polar bear goes under, and yeah. Jamie lets the camera run and run and run, and this polar bear comes back up with that. And I mean, that takes, yeah. a, I mean, a huge level of skill to do that, but also to let it run without exactly, cutting. Exactly. When you see it. that shot, everyone would say, "Oh, right, you have to cut. Have you got a cutaway to cut out the yeah. middle bit where Amazing. it's under?" And we looked at it and went. Brilliant, just yeah. leave it. Yeah. Know, is it going to come up or not? Yeah. You know, it was yes. And like in the Wild Dogs, where we had that shot of the dog running from the side, I mean, that was a 40 second shot. And, you know, most people have used it for like five seconds, but, you know, we chose to use it for 20, 25 mm -hmm. seconds mm -hmm. just to get that yeah. impression of, of freedom. Uh, Sophie, you already had uh, said that the, the spider, the driving spider, was um, one of your favorite uh, moments. And it, um, what about your own here? It has to be the Wild Dogs. Uh, they are incredible animals. Um, you know, I was there on the shoot, so I was able to fully appreciate the challenges that they faced. I mean, they're only like this big. They're they quite are small. not. They're bigger than that. Wild dogs? <laughs> yes. No, they're not. Uh, no, okay. they're Unless not. they've all the shrunk since they, they saw them in they're March. They're like very small. Yeah. So they have tight. They're small they're animals. That's because you were in a helicopter. No. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I'm telling you, when you were like on the shoot, yeah. you mean you were up above the shoot? You can run no, no, I was on both. I yeah. was on helicopter and on the ground. But they're, they're small animals, and you know what they're able to do as a group is just oh, phenomenal. They're devastating. Um, and you know, they it's pretty brutal at the end. I mean, you don't want to see what happens to the animal at the end because they don't have big jaws or big paws. They can't kill their animal in a you know in a way like a lion or a, a cheetah. They just eat it alive. So it's not something, it would definitely, if we're trying to keep you know, the empathy and the sympathy going for predators, it's not the sort of yeah. thing to show. So that's why we end it fairly quickly. Well, I thought the wildebeest kind of dancing to show that it, was, you know, it wasn't worth chasing. Yeah. I thought that's, uh, I've done that many a time in my club. Well, I think it should be required watching for all wildebeest because <laughs> yeah. the wild, what the wildebeest don't realize, that if they stand their ground, the wild dogs will walk away. Yeah. They, what they only catch wildebeest that, that run. It's for all, yes, exactly. Yeah. And if they just, just it's so they need, we always just say they, they needed courage to stand still. And I think that's the, isn't that sort of like life? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Stand wow. your ground yeah. or run away. And who would have thought you'd get a philosophical message from a wildebeest? <laughs> they didn't. They need to learn it. They need to learn it. But, uh, <laughs> yes. I like the two-headed thing as well. Yes. They kind of yeah. That's That lovely. was the... Uh, that was one of the most extraordinary things because you would never expect wildebeest to do anything intelligent. <laughs> and I'm really sorry. I, I've got a lot of time. A lot of wildebeest fans. I'm, I'm telling you, you're, you're losing them right here. here. I right love wildebeest, but they don't. You know, they are fodder for pretty much everything. That, yeah. That, yeah, but they you know, do pretty well. There's one the Darwin bark spider would probably catch one in its web. You know, <laughs> they do seem to sort of like the fall guys of the plains. Um, yeah. So they. But anyway, there's millions of them. So. That's right. Really um, harsh. Yes, it's no. Um, <laughs> we mentioned the um, we mentioned the soundtrack, which is beautiful. It's really beautiful mm. soundtrack. Um, so maybe talk a little bit more about the post production. Yeah. Um, well, I think it's also important to say that you know you have the music as one yeah. layer, but you yeah. have the sort of sound design. Of course. And if you watch some of the chameleon sequences, you know that's a really really important part yeah. of like trying to make it cinematic. But we were very very lucky because we managed to sign up Stephen Price. Uh, as our composer, and he won an Oscar for Gravity. And he'd worked as a, as worked with George Fenton years previously on Planet Earth, but as the arranger. And he'd always wanted to do a natural history series, but he was, you know, he was getting big and having won an Oscar for Gravity. He, you know, he, he was getting lots of offers from Hollywood, but he just did Suicide Squad. Um, so he's working in the, in the big stuff, 
And um, we got him in when we'd actually done the wild dogs and we had a few sequences which we had sort of rough cut. Yeah. And we showed him the sequences and he just went, yeah, I'll do it. So we were very lucky. We were very lucky. And he was a lovely, lovely person Amazing to work man. with. Amazing yeah. man, You know, he's very, he won a BAFTA actually for this, this, this soundtrack, um, which I thought was very well deserved. And I thought it was wild dogs in particular, yeah. the movie was, yeah. So very, very, very lucky to have Stephen. And um, I mean, the edit itself, for how long was The edits are uh, roughly, uh, I mean, 11, 12 weeks. Yeah. And you need that amount of time. You're dealing with a lot of footage, and people always ask uh, how much footage you shoot. We have run to about a ratio of 200 to 1. And that's one of the big changes. I started, mm -hmm. and so did Sophie, mm -hmm. started back in the day when we had sequences film. in yeah. film. Yeah. And there, you know, 10 minutes of film cost you to buy and process then about 160 quid. It's a lot of money, yeah. And so the shooting ratio is small. I mean, you 25, 30 to one. And the, since video came along, Cameron people have got so much less discipline. <laughs> <laughs> and I keep saying, you know, it's expensive. It may be cheap, it's expensive on producer time. That's what I say. They won't listen. Anyway, so, but it does give you an opportunity. I mean, yeah. the great thing about video is that it, you make better films because you can watch the stuff on location. We couldn't well, do that in You film. can check your rushes. Yeah, I think that's oh, the right. thing. So, you, yeah. so you, you can, uh, what we used to have to do was send them back and yeah. it would be in maybe a month, two months. And if you wanted to get something, if you were still on location, the grass would have changed color, the animals would have yeah. left, it would have been a disaster. Um, now you can go back in the evening. We, you know, it, it, the workload has become amped up much much more on but you make better films because you've got you can yeah. see all that detail say, right we need that so it's a it's, it feels a much more directing experience yeah. but sadly animals don't read scripts no they're rubbish <laughs> yeah we tried and tried and tried can't make them do it so yeah. you really it is like a fly on the wall documentary every day you have to look and what did you get okay and then you know you're end, you, you think you're ending you, you're going for this but then before you know it you're ending up here i think we actually thought about doing fly on the wall just like as a series just the, the fly yeah. on the wall yeah um it's a short film. Yes, maybe not a series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we have about 10 minutes left, and I was wondering if, um, if anybody uh, in the audience had uh, questions they might like to ask at this stage. Um, uh, well, indeed, they do. I can, I can see that straight away, even without a light. Um, can we maybe have some light so that... Um, oh, and there's a microphone that's there. Um, can I just say, first of all, thank you so much for bringing this amazing series. It's just... It's just wow, wow. Wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, wow, wow. Thank you. And Sophie, the cinematography, I mean, just breathtaking, absolutely breathtaking. It's a great crew. Um, so my question actually is for you, Sophie, um, as you said, it's a, um, a landmark series. It's um, an, a lot of preparation went into the making of it and the preparation. So I'm sure there was a huge risk assessment put together at the time, but, you know, before you go and, and shoot these predators. But as a, a cinematographer, is there any time during this series or any other series where you have been working with predators or in, um, in dangerous sort of environments, <laughs> um, um, just in the nature of your craft to get that shot, question, yeah. um, have you ever felt personally in danger or has the adrenaline been so high to get that shot? It goes out the window where you actually are and what you're actually filming. Um, That's, it's a great question. I am... Um, I started off by saying I live in Hackney in East London <laughs> and um, therefore my level of fear has been somewhat, you know, tainted. Um, I think it's much more, people are more dangerous than animals. Um, we're very, very careful. We have the most amazing local knowledge 
of people that we can tap into who guide us um, on location. So with the bears, I've never filmed bears before. I had a guide who'd been working with bears for 25 years. And so that first time when you're sitting there and a 10 foot, you know, when standing up bear walks past you, you're like, whoa, that's big. <laughs> <laughs> and all they've got is a small marine flare, which is like a candle, effectively. <laughs> there's no guns, there's no bear spray. It's like, well, that, brilliant, that's great. But after you've been there for a month, you realize it's actually, you know, you gain experience, but you're reliant on. So I have, though, unfortunately, yes, I have um, been hit by a, a charging buffalo. Um, uh, but I was very lucky because it missed me by an inch. It took out the whole side of my car. Um, this was some time ago. Um, it, was, it was being attacked by lions and it was very badly hurt and it was so enraged it decided that we, being the same color as the lions, that it would have a go at us. But as a rule, I think we're, we're all much more um, at danger in amongst ourselves. Yeah. You always think it's going to be the predators and the animals that are the most dangerous, but it's always you know, road traffic accidents. Yeah. <laughs> but one of the best stories I, I, I heard about um, cameramen and wildlife was uh, an Arctic cameraman, underwater cameraman called Doug Allen, and he was filming polar bears. And he was in a sort of igloo hide, and so there was nothing much protecting him from the bear. And the bear started, this polar bear started walking quite close to him. And his guide behind him said, this is too close, this is too close, you, we better scare it off. So Doug gets the flare gun out, and he fires the flare gun, and it goes over the bear, and it causes a big bang, and so the bear just <laughs> runs straight <laughs> towards him. And yeah. he did survive that, but uh, that, that's, uh, never fire a flare over a polar bear, that's, yeah, the, that's the message. Yeah, the there. message. Yeah. We'll all take that home with us today. Thank you. Um, <laughs> any other questions? A question just up there in the... Um, it's a very simple question. I work in daytime, so obviously a completely different genre. And I was just wondering what, um, how big is the crew that you get for a shoot, and uh, how is it made up? I'll go out with one other person. As a rule, you want it's wildlife, and the whole point is that you want to get as little impact on the on the animal mm -hmm. as you possibly can. So it might be you and a driver, or you and a guide, or you and a researcher. But it's it, the crews. We try and keep them really, really small. Two or three. Yeah little um mm. just um which also amuses people when they go you pull your own focus mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> um it, it's everything is done by the mm. by the crews on the way yeah the team the production team about 20 people uh, across the seven yeah. parts and that that is the that is the that's not a budget choice that's a no it's absolutely an active yeah. work choice yeah. because you yeah. don't uh, the whole point is you want to disturb them and form natural behavior and you would, it like, in like you would never intervene in, in the scenario that would go on. You would also want to kind of just, that's mm. the whole point of it. Natural history mm. filmmaking is about getting natural, not impacting on them at all. The other questions just uh, there. In Again, thank you for the privilege of sharing that. Um, question about narrative and the cheetah sequence. Did you write that in advance or did you see what you had and then think actually if we tell this as a lesson in how to hunt for the cubs then we can use more of the cutaways and make more of our sequence. Yes. <laughs> it was the latter. <laughs> I mean obviously you yeah. start off with an idea. I mean what we were yeah. trying to do was something like that but the detail of it is not really apparent until you start getting the footage in and then thinking okay well we've got this and 
we can make that out of it. We knew we had a tutor with cubs, yeah. and so we made sure we had the shots to cover that aspect, because of mm. course it is hard seeing an animal killing, and if you see why she's killing, it makes more sense. Yeah. So it's an emotional, it, it's an emotional decision. Yeah, I mean, we didn't go out and sort of say, oh, that's a bit of luck, we got some cubs. Yeah. We went out there was a lot of research. We went out to film a mm. cheetah mother with her. We specifically chose a female with cubs. And we knew Malika was there, yeah. And we got quite lucky that she had four. Mm. I mean, that's not, that's not common at all. Yeah. She sadly lost all of her volume. Yeah, cheetahs, uh, as, as, yeah, yeah, as we said, yeah, you know. She did, yeah. she, I saw her a year later and she only had one. Question just um, this passage just directly behind you there. I uh, just want to say, uh, just uh, congratulations on the uh, the hunt that was uh, so beautifully shot and all, and congratulations. I'll, uh, I'll pass that on to the rest of the people. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, just for a, a question to Hugh here. Hugh, uh, after the, the success of uh, Planet Earth, what made you feel that, you know, with uh, Planet Earth, how long, what did you feel like? With plan how Planet Earth, it was a big success, and what was the, how production was really like, how was production like more, well compared to Planet Earth, how was it more like, what does it say, <laughs> um, as in words like, uh, what, how made you feel? Was it similar, was the hunt similar yeah, to Planet yeah, Earth? Yeah, well like, you know, with, uh, with uh, the production development, no. Are you comparing the two, Planet yeah, Earth yeah. and the hunt? Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, they, you know, what we did on planet Earth you know, works well for a, a natural history landmark series and, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And, and um, you know, we followed on, you know, I did a series on North America in, in the same vein as planet Earth and the hunt had the same traditions. So, you know, the same number of, of people on each program. Mm -hmm. I said one of the differences, we were made a conscious decision to try to get fewer cameramen uh, and women um, to, shoot the, to shoot the series. <laughs> and that was a conscious decision. But um, yeah, in, pre in previous series, you know, you would have used more camera talent mm -hmm. um, across place. Yeah. Camera talent working for you? Ah, yeah, quite. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, and it's like this, that scene from um, you know, Life of Brian, isn't it? Where he goes to go. To there was one of the people wanted to be Where's in, he going wanted to be with a yeah. woman, and they kept saying it was the, they were the Judish, Judea. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You've got Back it. Back to the production. You've got it. Yeah. Yeah. And women. And also uh, another question for you, uh, for after uh, saying the success, uh, a year later, uh, it was turned into a feature film. Uh, it was created by BBC and also Disney uh, Earth. Yes. And uh, were you involved with, with uh, Earth that time? No, I wasn't. Oh. No, but it was made by Alistair Fothergill, who yeah. we worked with, and so it was the same, some of the same team. Funnily enough, the Hunter's been made into an IMAX. Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And it, we finished it uh, a couple of months ago. Fantastic. Seriously, yeah, it, so is, it, it makes it completely. Seeing that blue whale on an IMAX oh, screen mm. is, and seeing that spider, yeah. actually, I mean, it's just like yeah. the whole thing is, it's well, a it totally is. new experience. Yeah. It's really amazing. So we have time for one more question before we're going to have to end on this. Yes. I'm wondering, what is the future of natural history? Are there stories that haven't been told, or is it more new technologies driving old stories that have been told, but looking at it in new angles with the, the uh, what new technology allows us to do? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's a bit of both, you know, trying to find new stories, but then trying to 
improve old stories using new technology. I think that's applied to every single landmark series I've ever worked on. You know, what new technology has come up and how can we tell better stories? You know, there are cameras now that you, know, you can see into the dark that was never possible even three years ago. So suddenly it opens up a whole new horizon of some things you can do. Um, so I don't see, I don't see it's a very limiting thing at the moment. I mean, we're all, I'm working on another big series for BBC um, and I'm working on a, on a series for Netflix, another big planet Earth kind of theme. And, um, you know, we're not running out of stories. But it is a good point, and I think it's going to get increasingly it's, it, it's It's really interesting how technology is just... I've used something like 11 different cameras in the last two years. Um, it used to be that you'd own your own kit and you'd head out. Um, now you don't own your own kit. You just have to be really proficient at learning. And it's going to be very interesting to see where VR goes, um, how that's going to change wildlife, and how that will be incorporated, because, of course... You know, there is no script. How do you how do you get people to you know with wildlife? It's I'm really fascinated, and I think it's interesting. But as long as the story um, remains at the heart of it, that's the main thing for me personally. And um, I would rather see the story and the animals. I want to move away from the making of as well. I think give another ten minutes to the animals. Uh, enough of us. Well, <laughs> listen, thank you both very much. Unfortunately, we've uh, run completely out of time. Um, I have got my favorite job description ever, which is Stephen Price's Arranger Planet Earth. I want to be Arranger Planet Earth um, on my CV. Um, can I just thank you both so much indeed for thank such a, a great, thank you. Thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> and thank, thank you all, thank you all very much indeed. Thanks. <laughs>